Hello, fam. This is Ro, and you're listening to Sick of Being Sick. A brief intro to those of you who don't know me.、Um, I am 26 years old, and I'm currently based in Spain. I was living in New York and working、um, at an advertising agency or social media agency, and、um, I have been recently diagnosed with a. Fourth grade glioma. So this is my story, and for this episode, I'm starting from the moment I first found out I was going to get surgery to the whole roller coaster of emotions that goes with the symptoms, as well as surgery and more. Please follow, like, or subscribe, or do whatever it is that your app does to listen to our upcoming episodes. Um. I haven't revisited this moment in a hot second, so we're gonna we're gonna start there. About two months ago, I went to the emergency room, and after about five hours of waiting, I was sitting in a chair,、um, waiting for my dad to be called to come with me. I was already crying. I felt like there was definitely something bigger than a panic attack happening in me, and.、Um, My dad came. The doctor came to explain. I started crying. My dad started crying, and then the doctor started explaining. You know, there's a mass or a lesion. She kind of went back and forth between mass and lesion. If there's a doctor out there, please explain what the difference is, because to this day I'm still confused.、Um, but yeah,、um, that was the moment they kind of just changed everything. That moment they tell you the news, and.、Um, Yeah, let's pause there and move back <laughs> a couple months where everything really did start. Around the fourteenth of May, I took a holiday. I was planning to leave my job, and I took a holiday with my cousin.、Um, I spent a few days in Lanzarote and the Canary Islands、uh, at first on my own, and then he joined me. The day that he joined me, I kind of did a solo morning at the beach, and I came back. I was feeling a bit stressed out about, you know, handing in my notice at a job that I'd been for four years, and I was on the phone to my mom, preparing a salad, something that I do quite often.、Um, and all of a sudden, I just remember looking at this bottle of olive oil, and starting to feel like. A super strange feeling coming into my body, and my head slowly started to move in the movement of yes,、um, as if I was asserting something. And the the word yeah just continuously repeated in my head.、Um, and I told my mom, I don't know what the heck is going on. I can't like I can't control whatever the heck is happening. It lasted about five seconds. The time for me to put my head under the The cold sink and kind of like come out of it. That first time was terrifying. Now I know that that was an epileptic, like a seizure.、Um, back then, I thought it was a panic attack because there were all the reasons in my life to kind of think that it was.、Um, I took a nap, never went to the doctor again. This same episode、um, repeated. My mom and I never really talked about it again, but this same episode repeated、um, after two weeks after that time, and then every other week, and then every week, and then it started happening every day.、Uh, once I had left my job and I started traveling with my friend Jake,、um, shout out Jake, he was a big part of of helping me discover this. 
and kind of every time I had, I, I never talked to anybody about it because I just thought they were panic attacks. And even if they were, I sh- should have probably talked to somebody about it until I was in Barcelona with Jake after we'd gone to a really nice spa and we were walking through El Born um, on our way to dinner, I believe. And I just held to the back of his arm and I was like, I don't know what the heck is going on, but I feel like I'm about to pass out. And he just looked at my ass and he's like, Ro, what the heck? And I just had my eyes super wide open, my eyebrows raised and my head continuing to sort of do this yes movement. Um, after it finished, he was like, does that happen a lot? And I kind of explained that it had been happening for a few times. And we were a few days um, out from going to our trip to Croatia. We had this whole hot girl summer planned. Um, and he was like, you need to get this checked. You need to get this checked. And then later in the day, it happened again. Oh, later in the week or the day after it happened again. And my mom saw it in person. And then that's kind of when she was like, okay, we got to cancel everything. Um, and then I went from Barcelona to Madrid. Um, the day I arrived in Madrid, I had a conversation with my dad and we we're talking about, you know, there's, there's all the reasons why this could be a stress thing. We had this very <laughs> engineered talk where he was like, you know, it could be hardware or software. It might be software if it's all about, you know, how you're feeling and it could be hardware if something is wrong with your brain. But we never really wanted to explore that it was something wrong with my brain. So we really very much focused on it being something to do with panic attacks. And then the day after he left to meet with my sister, um, I stayed at home. I said, you know, I just feel like I'm dragging myself. I kind of felt feverish, but I didn't have any fever. It was super hard to validate what I was feeling. And the the hardest part of all all this was kind of getting words behind the feelings of, I don't know, like I couldn't really feel my left side, this whole thing. (laughs) It, It was really like, I just could not put words to it. And that was the most frustrating thing out of the whole situation and then um he went to the stables with my sister I stayed in the house I tried to shower and um I was trying to shower (laughs) wash my hair with both my hands and I could feel that I was doing the whole thing with my right arm and my left arm and my left leg were barely working so then I was like okay there's something wrong here I called a taxi and went to the emergency room, asked my dad to meet me there. I get to the emergency room and I just freeze. I get to the little window where you check in. I put both my arms there and the man was like, what, what's wrong? How can I help you? And I said, I don't know, but I'm about to fall. Um, and he got me a chair. I gave him my ID and my sort of social security card. And I he gave it back to me, but I was obsessed throughout the whole time I was at the emergency room that he had taken it and he hadn't given it back to me. So I continuously asked my dad and my sister to go get it. Anyways, I went to the emergency room. Then I got to see the doctor um, and she asked me to do um, several sort of neurological tests. One of them was put both of your arms in front of you like you're holding a pizza and close your eyes. And I had noticed the day prior on the train from Barcelona to Madrid that I could not keep my eyes closed. And they would just kind of like 
open. Once again, I thought it was panic because when your body is in a form of panic, your eyes are staying open for awareness. I don't know. I found ways to <laughs> bucket all of this into panic or anxiety. And she kept asking me, open, like, close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. And they just kept opening. So she thought I was kind of like, you know, not there for real. And then she asked me, well, how do you sleep? And I was like, oh, well, I haven't really slept in a few days. And then she went into like, oh, are you very stressed? And I was like, yeah, I'm a bit stressed because I, you know, I'm tired and my left side doesn't work. From there, she had me do a blood test, but I, um, I heard a nurse come to her and ask her, are you doing any other tests for her? And she was like, um, I'm just going to do a blood test for now and we'll see. And I kind of felt like she wasn't believing me. And if you know me, you know a rose stare. So I spent about three hours giving her a rose stare, hoping that she would take me seriously and do a bit more of an intense test, either a CT scan or an MRI or whatever it is that they do in the situations. And then after a while, she um, came to me and was like, we're going to do a CT scan because I am, you know, I can't see through your head. So I obviously don't know what might be going in there, but we're going to do a CT scan and then we'll know. They called me in for the CT scan. I am a super nice lady from... All of this was in Hospital La Paz. Amazing staff, honestly. I'm so freaking lucky. Super young woman takes me in. Two nurses are really kind. They put me in the little, you know, in the table in the machine. And then after five minutes is done, I go back to the to the waiting room. Give it seven minutes or so. Um, and then the same woman comes again and she's like, we, we have to repeat it. Um, and I was like, okay, this already doesn't feel good. And then I got to the CT scan room and I looked in the little window where you can see who's controlling that. And I saw maybe three new people. They looked quite serious, not Derek Shepard, but <laughs> the kind. And the two nurses were already looking at me different. I started shaking. I was terrified. And they were like, oh, we forgot to do one with contrast. We have to do that with contrast. And I was like, okay, I guess like, that's what you got to do. Um, I was shaking throughout the whole CT. Um, the woman kept fixing my, my head because it kept turning to one side. We later found out that my brain was shifting from the bit line for about half centimeter. So hence the, the lack of strength and mobility on the left side. And, um, a lot of my seizures having to do with the left side. Um, so yeah, then this led to my dad and I sitting in <laughs> the emergency room with the doctor telling us all about this news. And for the next 24 hours, I believe, all I remember was pure shock. Fear. Um, yeah, fear in a way that I've never felt but the main thing I started to think about was <laughs> the things that I wasn't going to do. So I started telling my sister, apparently, because I don't really remember most of this, how I wasn't going to be able to cook again and um, do other things. I don't really remember what it was, but just going hiking in the mountains and things like that because the left side wasn't going to work, um, which I guess speaks to a lot of the things that I cared in the moment. And... I remember as as horrible as it sounds, um, she was like, we're going to give you steroids, um, corticoides, which is specifically, uh, to, which is to, my brain was super swollen at the time. So it was to bring out the swell, 
I don't know how you say it. Um, and my first reaction there was like, fuck, that's like what makes you feel super inflated. And like, I already really hate whatever the heck is going on. I don't want to feel like bloated. I don't want to feel big. I don't want to look at myself and not like myself. And this is definitely was the, the, the first moment that I sort of had a bit of a, an experience with myself and a bit of a check-in. And I was like, what the heck am I thinking about? I have something in my brain. I'm most likely getting surgery and I'm worrying about my appearance. Um, this deserves an episode of its own, but we'll get to that. After a day in the emergency room, 24 hours, I got admitted and then um, got a room in the neurology um, part of the hospital. In Spanish, it's planta. It's hard to translate all these specific terms. But um, I got a room. At first, I had a shared room. I was just a mess all the time, just crying whenever I get moved from, I got moved from one place to the other. Because, mind you, I'm going through just finding out I have some mass in my brain to then going through all this during COVID and you're not allowed to have visits during COVID or be with somebody during COVID when it comes to these things. But I was in such shock and such a bad um, sort of mental place that the doctor gave special permission for for one of my parents to stay with me um, 24-7, which was amazing. And then after a day with a shared room, I got my own room, which um, it's weird. I kind of liked hospital life. I think it's because I've been in boarding school all my life and it's it's got some sort of routine that um, gets you (laughs) comfortable. Um, I'm like, okay, I could live in a place where they come and... um, bring me food X times a day and I don't have to think about food outside of those days, outside of those times in a day. Um, I've got the rest of the time to read, to watch things. It's definitely made me a lot more comfortable with having to go to an elderly home if I have to when I grow up. I Before this, I was definitely of the kind of like, no, I've got too much of an ego to be, you know, taken care of by somebody else. But now, who cares? <laughs> Let yourself be taken care of. After that, um, the test started, the real tests. Um, I had to do a really long MRI. I think it was over an hour to really understand if it was a lesion, if it was a mass. There was a lot of confusion between those two things. Um, I think for a lesion, they don't have to go into, like, actually cut your skull open. <laughs> um, whilst for a mass removal, it is. And then... After CD scans, after MRIs, after blood tests, after all these things, um, a neurosurgeon came to my room. I was with my mom and my sister, I think. And they're like, you know, we've just been reviewing the CD scans. There's no metastasis. And I was like, what? Like, I have not thought of this word. I've not thought about cancer throughout the time I was there. It's like, all these things were happening around me. It's almost like in a movie or the think of you Um music video from Alexis, shout out, where everything is moving around you and you're just kind of still and you have no idea what the heck is happening, but you really don't consider the things that could be real, (laughs) which is cancer. And um, yeah, he was like, there's no metastasis. So we know that it's a tumor of the brain. It doesn't move from there. 
And I was like, okay, I guess that's that's a piece of good news. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, and then after the really long MRI, they were able to see that it really was a tumor of the brain and it was a quite an accessible area of the brain. Um, he said, we're going to do surgery Monday, uh, Tuesday morning because it's a tumor of the brain. You're able to take this liquid um, for anybody who's seen pictures of me in the ICU post-surgery. You will have seen that um, I was wearing sunglasses. <laughs> I, for 24 hours, because of this liquid, I became super sensitive to light. And it was a liquid that essentially turned me into a firefly during surgery. Um, when they would, they, they can light up my brain with a specific light and then be able to cut, cut around the tumor super, super specifically. So it all gets super cleaned out. So I was super fortunate and grateful to be able to do that. Surgery day, Tuesday morning, 5 a.m. Um, the nurses woke me up. I was with my mom. We'd spend <laughs> most of the night before crying, just terrified because um, the doctor had shared with us that there was a chance of me losing mobility on the left side um, post-surgery. So that was terrifying. Um, part of that was me kind of coming to terms. I had asked him, okay, like statistically, what are the chances of me actually losing the, the mobility on the left side? And he'd said five to 10%. And, you know, as a strategist who loves data, I spend so much of my time sharing percentages. And I was like, if I was giving that to somebody, I'd be like, it's low. Not that I am in any way <laughs> qualified to define whether <laughs> this is low or not, but for some reason, I have a very rational brain and that just kind of put me at ease. And I was like, okay, it's a really small likelihood of this happening. It can happen, but it's a small likelihood. And, you know, this surgeon is super good. I trust him and I have got good support around me if it happens. So it is what it is, but we got to get this thing out. Um, so yeah, Tuesday morning, nurses come to wake me up. Um, I have to shower with this pink thing which is just like this um disinfectant of your whole body your hair everything and then um I went into the room and then they were going to give me this liquid and um, I had to be with the lights off and sunglasses on until they took me to the um the the OR mind you the journey to the OR oh man it just looked like a dead body <laughs> So to take me to the OR, they tell me that they have to, you know, no light can hit me. So I am in this bed. <laughs> I have my sunglasses on, but obviously nobody can see it. I've got like a, a sheet, a blanket and another sheet over me, literally like covering a, a dead body. And my parents and my sister and a family friend and my aunt around the bed as we were moving saying, you know, Rocio, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. You're going to kill this, blah, blah, blah. And you can only imagine the people that were seeing this being like, why are these people speaking to a <laughs> dead body <laughs> going through the holes? Anyways, I get to the pre-OR and I was just so hot. You know, this is the middle of July in Madrid. It's like 40 degrees outside. I was suffocating under those sheets. Super nice nurse came and, um, you know, all the lights were off. So she just took the blanket. Um, and then she was like, how are you doing? And I was kind of just like, in, in shock still from the whole thing. So I was like, I'm, I'm nervous, but I think I'm okay. And then, um, the anesthesiologist, um, 
came and they're like, okay, we're going to get you going so that you don't have to be, you know, so anxious ahead of going into it. So from there, I just remember, you know, laying in this table, a whole bunch of things going on around me. And this woman putting thing to cover your, your mouth and asking me questions. And I was telling them all about my life in New York. And that makes me want to cry now. And, um, yeah, I went to sleep three hours later after a super successful surgery, which, wow, I'm so happy. (laughs) I remember mildly starting to, to wake up and the doctor saying, Ro, like, Theo, everything's gone okay. Like, it was super successful. And I just, the main thing I was thinking about, um, I had a catheter. This is maybe TMI. But I don't care. I had a catheter. That thing is the most uncomfortable thing you're ever going to wear as a woman. Probably as a man as well, but it just wasn't an experience. Um, and the main thing I was just saying, I was like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. I have to go to the bathroom. It's I can't. And they just kept saying, it's coming out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you're fine. And then um, my, my mom came into the room and held my hand and they asked me, can you can you squeeze my hand with your right arm and then move your fingers, your toes, and then squeeze my hand with your left arm. And my arm was back to, to full mobility. Okay. I think I put myself back together. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that was super emotional because, you know, there was a chance that it was going to get worse before it got better, but got better straight away, which was so impressive. Um, that the body and medicine, I have so much respect, but yeah, then from there I started my 24 hours of post-surgery ICU, which I think I have the worst trauma from. I was in this room with all, it was a glass room, but because I was so sensitive to light, it was all covered. Um, so I couldn't see anybody outside and I, had a horrible fear that, you know, people from outside couldn't see me. So if something happened to me, they wouldn't be able to see. Of course, they have got this so monitored. I was just getting in my own head. <laughs> but, um, you know, there, there were risks for post-surgery, which were, you know, like brain bleeds or any sort of stroke that could happen post-surgery would be a really bad thing. So I just had horrible anxiety throughout that whole 24 hours. <laughs> Um, I was sitting there with my sunglasses on. I might put my that picture in the show notes if I can. Um, yeah, because it was a whole look. And had my sunglasses on, the oxygen thing, the little thing in my finger, and this um, uh, screen next to me, which would beep every time the thing in my fi- finger disconnected. But of course, like, now if I heard it, it would be super, like, a low beep according to my sister who came to visit me but for me it was just this like crazy alarm because obviously my head had just been open so my headaches were horrible um but yeah and then because I was wearing sunglasses every time the nurses would come they wouldn't know if I was awake or not so more than once I scared them out I was like hello (laughs) and they'd be like oh my god you're awake um but yeah, I I experienced well one of the most vulnerable moments or situations I have ever had in my life in those twenty four hours in the in the ICU from a physical and emotional standpoint. 
The first super vulnerable moment was, um, I think it had been like a few hours um, after surgery and after I'd woken up, I kept coming in and out of sleep. But I woke up and I just, I, I felt so alone because I was in that room alone. I think I'm just needy. <laughs> but um, this one person, I think she was a nurse, I'm not sure, came in and she was like, hey, how are you doing, blah, blah, blah. And I just told her, I was like, I feel so alone. Um <laughs> which before this Ro would have never said <laughs> I just I'm, I'm not that person not that that's a person but I just I'm not that open and I wish I was um and that was moment number one and she stayed with me for some time sometimes all you have to do is ask you know she just hold, held my hand and you are scared and stayed with me for some time and then the second moment, <laughs> after a while, I was having these horrible headaches and I, um, you know, I had two tubes coming out of my brain, so I couldn't move. That was the drainage. I don't know if that's how you say it. Um, and I couldn't move at all. I was terrified of moving as well because I didn't want to fuck anything up. Um, and this nurse came in and I was like, my headaches was horrible. I had the, the oxygen thing that covers your mouth and, and nose. With the sunglasses, they were like creating wounds at my, in my, over my nose. So the whole thing was super uncomfortable. Um, so he changed it to the thing that only goes into your nostrils, which was super helpful. And then I could just wear my glasses over that. And then I was just butt, na butt naked in this bed. Him and three other nurses turned me on my side put lotion all over my backside of my body um, so that I would be a bit refreshed and like moved me around and lifted my head a little bit. And what can I say? After that, I just could not give two fucks about what I looked like. <laughs> I was like, okay, I've, I've, I just felt like a grandma because I couldn't move. I had to have three people move me to put lotion over my body. Mind you, through all this, I was gassy AF. So it was just a fucking concert in there. Um, and I just kept apologizing. They're like, oh, it's okay. Like, <laughs> it's been worse. That's definitely TMI. I'm sorry, guys. So after that came the the night, which I was dreading. I had asked, I said, oh, I have so much anxiety. Can you give me something to fall asleep? Mind you, I was so freaking hot. Like, there was AC there, but I was still so hot. So I just kept taking my sheets off and just flashing the whole ICU. <laughs> they, they really didn't care. Um, and I had asked for something to fall asleep and they weren't able to give me something because neurologically they had to check on me every two hours. So the night was horrible. I was in and out of sleep the whole time. The nurse, poor girl, came just checking in on me to to try and, and see if, you know, do the press my hand, open your mouth, uh, different neurological tests. And then the day after... Oh my God, the day after was like the worst headaches of my life. That was horrible. Um, a little bit of insight for you Americans. We start with the equivalent of Tylenol here <laughs> when you do this, obviously like in a, in a high dose, but of course so that we don't get addicted to opioids or I don't know if morphine is an opioid, but strong drugs. It starts the ladder of drugs starts at a ridiculous level. So I just kept asking for more and more and more and more until I got to the level of morphine. 
And then I had to go to a post-surgery MRI. Mind you, the first MRI, for which was like an hour or something, I hated. I just had horrible claustrophobia. So I was like, how am I going to go into this MRI with my head open? Well, it wasn't open. It was staples. But they had just removed the drainage holes, which was a whole other story. How am I going to go into this MRI um, with this horrible headache and... Um, sunglasses. It was just <laughs> a look. Anyways, uh, move forward a few hours. I was done with the MRI. Actually, wasn't that bad. And then I was back to my room. The surgeon had reserved the same room I had previously, which in public health in Spain is like unheard of. So I'm so, so, so grateful. Shout out to Borja, Dr. Borja Hernandez, who is who did it. Um, such an amazing team. Um, the whole neurological neurosurgery team at Hospital La Paz in Madrid. Um, none of that happened by chance, actually, just me being at the hospital. It wasn't like, oh, I think I have something neurological, so I'm going to go there to the emergency room. It all was just like, I just happened to land in the hands of one of the best uh, surgery teams, neurosurgery teams in Spain. So that that was amazing. And then after that, all that really followed was headaches for about three days. And in five days post-surgery, I was at home um, with headaches and a lot of anxiety and fear of my own wound uh, in my head. But it's really amazing how, how the body can heal like that. Um, and yeah, that's kind of it for today. Um, I will share a bit more about the biopsy and the FAQs of what it is that I have in the next episode, which is already up. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my story. I want this to really become a platform for other young adults to come share their story because I know it can be a little bit lonely. If you or anyone you know would like to share their story on the podcast, Please reach out to me via the email on the episode description or the show description. And um, you're more than welcome to come share your story. If you'd like to write a letter, um, if you don't want to come in, you can also write a letter and I'll read it at the end of the next episode. 